0: We'll get started. Good to see you. If you're new here, my name is Joel, and we have teaching from uh, the Bible here at Emmanuel each Sunday. We're going through the book of Matthew slowly here uh, these these months, and uh, we've got to chapter nine. So, if you have your Bible with you, perhaps you turn there. It's a very easy book to find in the Bible, first book in the New Testament, and we're in chapter nine. I'm going to read to you in a moment from verse 18 to verse 26, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into it. Uh, Thank you so, so, so much for all your prayer and encouragement and support with regards to New Day. Thank you especially if you were here this last two Sundays, uh, serving and involved in church and holding the fort while so many other people were away. Um, It's good to know that a church with multiple locations in the city still carries on when it feels like so many have have run away uh, from their, their, their post. Um, but thank you for serving and staying. I, I gather that it was a brilliant time. I loved listening to Glenn Scrivener's message from last Sunday, which I'm sure many of you were here for. If you haven't listened to it, please download it. It was superb. So we're carrying on from where he left off, looking at a, a, a well-known story, uh, really two stories in one, Jesus showing uh, mercy and compassion to two people, um, and we get to see another glimpse of his goodness once again. That's what I love about Matthew. Each time we, we kind of peel, peel a layer off of this gospel, we're seeing yet another uh, facet of the goodness of our God in Christ. And we also get to see something about how we might approach him, how we might become characters in the story ourselves, how we can engage uh, with the God of the Bible. And so um, that's where we're going to journey today. Uh, so let's read from Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 to 26. It says, This while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples, and behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And when Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players... And the crowd, making a commotion, he said, Go away, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took her by the hand. And the girl arose. And the report of this went through all that district. Let's just pray. Father, we're grateful to you for all your kindness. We're so grateful for these scriptures that point to the, the wonder of your son Jesus. So now we, we ask you for the gift of your spirit that would come now so that he might lead us into truth and show us something of, of the glory of, of who you are and help us to have our hearts warmed and, and touched and changed as we get to know you. We get to know you through the glory of your son. We ask you in his name. Why don't you just pray right now in your heart before we get into this. Lord, please speak to me. You may not even be used to praying, but let me ask you to pray anyway. Say, God, if you're there, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So it's a story within a story, two put together. And uh, it's no accident that they're put together. They obviously happened at more or less the same time. But I think Matthew's uh, got a bigger point to make than that they sort of happened in the same day. He, he's, he's seeing some, some key similarities between these two stories and some key differences. And what I want us to do to kind of get the best from this... Is to look at the similarities between the stories and the differences. And if we have time, I'd like to look at three similarities and two differences, and we'll do them alternately. Uh, I think that will help us to get to the, the kind of the core of Matthew's point here. That he's he's trying to teach us stuff through these stories, and it's good to dig in deep to grasp those, those points he wants to make. So we'll start with a similarity, and the similarity between these two stories enclosed in one is, is the first one is, is kind of the most obvious one, but in another way, it's the one that might strike us as least important, and that is that these are two women. So straight away, we've, we've got two healings, one, one from if, actually a young girl, Um, Luke and Mark, who tell the the same story, say that she was uh, 12 years old. And an older woman who's had this problem with a discharge of blood uh, for 12 years. And so they're at very different life stages. But if we look a little more closely, uh, we might see something quite significant in each of their condition. Uh, The young girl dying before she is at the stage where she, she's sort of about to enter into marriageable stage. And she's denied it by uh, an early death. And then the, the, the lady with the hemorrhage, she will have probably been denied marriage all her life, or at least for as long as she's had this condition. It's possible that uh, a husband in these circumstances would have divorced her. Uh, the... the the legal situation divorce-wise was very loose for men who, who wanted to be free from a, a, what they might have seen as a, a fruitless marriage. And, and so I'm afraid that we're talking about two, two women who would have been denied something significant, I suppose, in any culture, an opportunity to, to be in marriage and be in family, to have family. I, I think most people in most times in history would see that as generally a positive thing. But but. Stand back and, and then step closer back into Bible world and remember, uh, perhaps for the first time, learn, if, if, this, if you're new to your Bible, that, that for people living in this context, it wasn't just a nice option in life, having, having a family, having children. It would have been far more than an option. It would have been perhaps one of the main things, if not the main thing, that would have given life meaning for people to have... Family and to have offspring would have felt like the, 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 the key thing that validates you. We, we, we find our identity by belonging to one another and the key way that we do that is through family. And so motherhood would have been absolutely paramount. And yet both of these people are denied that, that highly valuable opportunity in life one through an early death and one through a condition that would have debilitated her would have effectively spoiled her reproductive system and caused her to be unable and Jesus reaches out to both of them Jesus reaches out to bring restoration to bring change to bring actual healing that would have given them the opportunity to be brought back in, included back into the, the people of God, the family of God, to become part of God's fruitful, life-giving family. Now you might think, why are you, why are you going in this direction? That's not explicit in the passage. It doesn't say much about that. But I would say it, it actually does. If you look kind of closely, and there are certain things, you, as you kind of get to know your Bible more and read it more, you, you start to see some of the themes and the, the, the ideas that come out like I say, in our 21st century Western individualised world, we're not, so, we're not so quick to notice. We see ourselves as so individual. We don't notice this whole big thing of family in the Bible. But notice, if, if, you, if you have your Bible, just before Jesus is invited by this ruler to come to heal his daughter, that he's been talking to some, some questioners about his role as the bridegroom of Israel. Jesus has talked about himself as like the the husband, the groom who has been sent to bring joy and life and fruitfulness to his people. And he's giving that as the reason why he's come and he's, he's explaining some of his behaviour even that they're questioning and he's saying listen I've come amongst my people as the, the joy giving bridegroom this is not a time for mourning and fasting Israel this is a time for joy and feasting that's why I've come that happens just before and in fact Matthew starts the story that I read to you with those words while he was saying these things to them so the link might suggest that the, the, the story kind of relates to what he's just been saying and then you get to the last bit of the story. Notice when he gets to the ruler's house, the daughter is is in the effectively in the kind of tomb of the house. You know, she's in a dark room, and there's people outside grieving and mourning, playing flutes. It doesn't mean you know, it's not like Morris dancing. This is a sad occasion. These are people who are they're there to to to, to engage in grief and mourning publicly. Ancient cultures generally did grief a lot more a lot more seriously than we do. They do it more expressively, openly. They take it more seriously. did take it more seriously. And, and they would have people coming to mourn. Jesus does the unthinkable and banishes them, sends them away. So there's, there's kind of little clues, it seems to me, in, in the story woven in. Even the fact that this, this other woman who's healed, she, she reaches out and touches his garment. Now, it might seem... Very incidental to us, but there are places again in scripture that suggest that actually there's a kind of marital theme going on here. Back in the book of Ruth, when she reaches out to to Boaz for, for courtship and ultimately marriage, her expression to him is, place your garment over me. And in the book of Ezekiel chapter 16, that's how God speaks about his love for his people. in in treating his people, Israel, as a bride, as a a loved and cherished bride who he spreads his garment over to bring her into covenant loyalty, covenant relationship with him. So there's bits bits and pieces woven in that suggest there's a kind of theme in the background here. And bear in mind that Jesus, in healing these two, therefore, is kind of doing something, it seems, a bit symbolic. He's he's healing these two women who've effectively been kind of widowed by life. And he's saying to them, I am your answer. I am your restoration. I am your, your gracious bridegroom. I've come to bring life and fulfillment and family and joy to you. This is my gift that I can bring to you. In spite of the fact that Israel's story was that God had rescued them from slavery and basically kind of married them. He offered himself as a bridegroom after saving them, rescuing them with special covenant promises. And then Israel had had effectively been unfaithful, chased other lovers, been disloyal, not kept her marriage vows And a lot of the Old Testament, quite frankly, is it consists of God's sheer heartbreak as he watches his bride turning to others. And he goes through the horror of watching constant unfaithfulness from his people. And he watches the the mess that she gets into as well. The nation of Israel becomes a, a mess because of the revolting unfaithfulness and sometimes the monstrous false idolatry she gets into. It doesn't do them any good. Maybe we don't need to be told that. Some of you know from sheer experience that unfaithfulness doesn't do us any good. Disloyalty to a marriage partner. Maybe you've seen that up close. Maybe you've even been involved with it yourself and you can speak from experience. You, you know the horror of it. Even though it might have fleeting appeal, it might, it might seem that going for Unfaithfulness, having an affair, turning—even in light ways, even in looking at pornography or whatever—can can seem like a kind of a. This has got some kind of fleeting appeal to me. It sort of—it makes me feel alive. It makes me feel joy all over again. And 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 some people who get into unfaithfulness, they even use that language of I've fallen in love again. It's like and like I'm young again. And it can seem, almost in a perverse way, sort of innocent, but. Within time, it's, it's gonna bring a harvest of horrible sort of guilt, shame, and, and a sense of life being wrong because we're not made for unfaithfulness. And when we, we see it uh, tearing a family up, tearing into the lives of children, breaking up homes, breaking up futures, breaking up hopes and prospects and dreams, we know it's wrong. It's so wrong. Maybe you've seen that. Maybe you've tasted it. Maybe that's been your story. And then you think about Israel. That was a nation's story. The whole nation was jointly complicit in this unfaithfulness to their covenant-keeping bridegroom who rescued them out of sheer love. And they knew it. They knew the curse of it. They knew the sin and the guilt. And I suppose even in their sicknesses, even in their physical sicknesses, might have felt an association. We are under a curse. There's nobody that can heal us. We are such a messed up people. We've blown it and it's our fault. It's a big deal when you get to that point in life sometimes, when you look at the the things that have happened to you and you have to face the fact that quite a lot of them might even be your fault. You can't blame others anymore, you just know. We've fallen short, I've fallen short. And you might imagine, therefore there isn't any hope. Therefore, I've burned my bridges. God would have no place for me. And yet this story is given to provide hope. Because we see in it a God who says, You you have fallen far, you have been unfaithful, but I come to you again as a gracious bridegroom and I bring healing and I bring restoration, I bring life, I bring family, I bring fruitfulness, I bring a future and a hope. This is what Jesus came to bring us. He came to spoil funerals in that sense. He came to say, let, let, me, let me bring promise back to you. So this, this, this similarity between these two uh, receivers of healing in this story is, is no accident. There's something rich going on there and it gives hope for me and you some of you today you need to hear this right now from me from the bible there's hope for you in Jesus you might think you've messed your life up I thought this is a story about healing physical healing it is we'll get to that but for some of you the word you need to hear isn't actually about that there's nothing physically wrong with you but you know there's something spiritually very wrong and there's a healer who reaches out to you today do you know that? Do you know that he's here today to bring hope to you? Bring a life change, bring a second chance? Maybe a trillionth chance is how it feels. That's good. That's fine. That's what he's like. That's how he presents himself. Let's look at the second thing. It's this time it's the difference. The difference between the insider and the outsider. So the, the girl that's died is the daughter of a ruler. Bit of, a, bit of a giveaway. This is an insider for sure. Now, he probably a ruler of the synagogue. We know that from Luke and Mark's account. So that means he's a religious leader, which in their context is a big deal. Okay, he's, he's not just the pastor's daughter, he's kind of an MP's daughter. It's all rolled into one. It's like he's socially a big deal. And she's, she's grown up with that, being the darling of her father, precious, delighted in, and everybody knows her. She's, faced, she's got a big Instagram account. Everyone wants to be her friend. She's the ruler's daughter. She's the princess of the neighborhood. And she's died. And the grief probably hit home for the whole, the whole area. Certainly for the father. An insider has died. Of course Jesus cares about her. She's special. And then this other lady, this definite outsider. I mean, she, she's had this flow of blood this discharge this blood hemorrhage it's a menstrual problem she can't stop bleeding she's not been able to function that would have meant that on a family level and even on a spiritual level in ways that I can't get into there isn't time in this sermon come back another time or just read the book of Leviticus if that helps you'll you'll get to see what I mean on many levels this lady is deprived she's she is excluded she would have felt all her, for for 12 years at least which is a long time to feel totally excluded isolated left out not acceptable not clean not really understood probably not very welcome she's probably maybe got used to that just thought well that's it that's it I'm an, I'm an utter outsider no one knows her no one knows her name no one thinks of her She certainly doesn't draw out the the heartstrings in the way that this daughter of the ruler does. What does Jesus say to her when he turns to her? When she reaches out and in this kind of surreptitious way, almost snatches her healing, (laughs) comes up behind him, just if I could touch him, gets healed. Jesus turns on her. In Mark's account, it says she was frightened to have been caught. What's Jesus' words to her is so tender. Take heart, daughter. What a word to choose. could have said anything. Could have given her any, any name. It might have been accurate. Take heart woman. He called his mum woman at least once in the, in the Gospels. Jesus chooses his words quite carefully. Daughter. He's going off to, to heal the famous daughter who everyone's heart is going out to. And this nobody, this outsider, he's saying to the whole world, he's saying, watch me, watch how I and my father relate to this outsider. You care about this daughter, I care about this daughter, that no one notices, I notice her, she's mine, she's my daughter, and I'm publicly gonna own her she's embarrassed, she's ashamed, she's not allowed in, she's excluded. She's mine, she's precious. Behold your God. <laughs> Look at the ways of your God, people. Look at what he's like. This is him right up front for us, the way of the master. He wants us to see his, his, his style. He wants us to understand. Yeah, he cares for Jairus' daughter too, the, 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 the ruler's daughter, for sure. But it's like he's wanting to make a point. I, I, I want you to see, I, I don't see it the way you see it. I don't, I'm not seeing who's got the most clicks and followers. I'm not, that doesn't bother me. I'm re- I see so much that you don't see. I see the person that no one's not. I see the person that prayed this week. God, if you're there, if you're real, please show yourself to me. You think God doesn't hear things? Do you think God doesn't notice what happens in, in bedrooms in this city and in, in hidden places, in dark places where kids are scared and wives are beaten up? And You think God doesn't know? Do you think God doesn't care? God wants us to show us what kind of God he is. He wants to show us today. He says, look, let me remind you. I see people in their need, in their their quiet brokenness, in their silent loneliness. I see them. I do. I do see them. Maybe that's a surprise to you. Maybe you feel that way yourself. (laughs) Would God see me? You bet he does. You bet he does. You've no idea. Third thing is a similarity. Both are healed by his touch. The ruler says, come and touch her hand, touch her. Put your hand on her. And this other lady, she reaches out and touches. Matthew's making a point, notice, touch, touch. And in both cases, things you shouldn't touch. Shouldn't touch a corpse. Not in this context, not in, under the, the law. Not if you, unless you want to be unclean yourself for a few days, infected. A corpse is effectively a, a, an infected thing and you're rendered unclean. It's going to mess your life up for at least a few days before you're clean again. And you don't touch a woman with an issue of blood. She's not allowed to touch the holy thing. She can't come near the temple, the priests. She's unclean. That is is the whole point of this story. She is unclean. She's rendered unclean. Again, you think, how could, that's terrible, it's terrible. There's a reason for it. Again, there's not time, but you need to understand, there's reasons for this. God celebrates life, God celebrates health and joy. And this woman, by her the issue of blood, the constant pouring out of life from her body, is a, is a symbol, a demonstration of everything that's sad and broken about this world. And God's holiness, how can God's perfect holiness come into contact with the broken with the messed up it can't be done how can it be done how can there be a bridge how can there be a a contact point for the holy and the unclean messed up creation messed up people messed up lives how can God the holy one make any contact and yet he does (laughs) in this story he does Jesus is touched by the unclean one and instead of turning around to give her a rebuke how dare you touch me daughter daughter Take heart, your faith has made you well. The touch, rather than making Jesus filthy, makes the woman clean. There's a reversal of the, 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 the limits, the limited power of the old mosaic uh, temple worship tradition, which could only work for only a few isolated priests that could go into the holy places. Jesus the great priest, the great temple, the great fulfiller of Moses walks amongst the streets, healing, <laughs> pouring out healing. It just pours out of him. The grace of God. You think, well, how could that be? Has God, just, has God taken meds? God changed his mind? He wrote the Old Testament. Did You just think Malachi thought, oh, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a more relaxed God from now on. I'm going to be a nice, tender God. I don't really like, you know, I, was, I was young. I was angry in those days. Those old bits of the Bible, that was me on a bad day. I've, 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 mellowed. I've mellowed, I've got older and mellowed. No, he's the same God, same holy God who you cannot just touch. You cannot just approach. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is a consuming fire. You read to the end of the Bible, you see Jesus in his holiness will terrify you. How can you approach it? How can you touch him? How can that which is unholy touch that which is holy and the holy thing not be harmed? Well, you're not reading till the end of Matthew's book because he was harmed. It didn't show on the day, but it was going to show. Always remember that. Every time Jesus healed somebody. In fact, in Mark and Luke, it says that he felt the power go out of him. When she reached out, he knew that someone had done something. And I said, How could you? Well, everyone's, it's a crowd. You ever been in a crowd? It's like, people, of course you mean people are touching you. He said, No, no, no. Someone touched me, touched me. Someone, there's power came out of me. Every healing, every time, there's grace, there's power. There's something going on in him. And as he gets to the cross, All all of this kind of carrying of the nation's weakness and failure and shame and guilt and sin and sickness and death comes to its fulfillment. As Jesus is carried away and crucified, he begins to bleed. This woman whose bleeding has ruined her life for 12 years. On one day, it stopped completely and she was free. Because one day, Jesus bled out his life on the cross. Jesus bled for us. Jesus took up our infirmities, took up our sicknesses. He took them up in himself. Jesus, as he goes into this dark room of this little girl, you can't touch a corpse, you can't touch a corpse. Jesus can. Jesus raises her up. Get up. Give her something to eat. (laughs) How can this be? How can you do that? Because one day he will be laid down in a dark place. Jesus will go into his tomb. Jesus suffered our death, suffered our sickness. Jesus suffered our shame. Jesus suffered yours. Suffered the worst stuff about you. The stuff that's untouchable. Stuff that you think, I wouldn't want God anywhere near that part of my life. I wouldn't want him to touch that part of me. No one should. It's filthy. I'm unclean. That makes me just feel unclean about that part of my life. It's just wrong. What does Jesus do? He said, You're so wrong. Because of the cross, I touch wherever I go. I touch whatever I want. <laughs> I bring healing. I can, he can bring healing in your life in ways that you think that's unthinkable. That's unchangeable. That's, that, I'm, I'm unclean. We have we, we, no idea of his power through touch to bring transformation. Fourth thing is a. A difference in a sense, although it's it's only different because the young girl wouldn't have heard it. But Jesus affirms publicly, we've already mentioned this, the, the woman. He affirms her deliberately and publicly. Daughter, take heart. So he's dealing with a couple of things there, isn't he? He's dealing with her sense of shame, and he's dealing with her fear. Take heart. Take heart. Be encouraged. Be strong. Let me recover your strength, you fearful one, you that's hidden in corners for 12 years, you that's been worried about looking anyone in the eye. You've kept yourself to yourself, haven't you, for years. You've, just, you've never hoped, you've never dreamed. Take heart, I say to you. Let me give you courage, let me give you strength. Don't be afraid, don't live in fear. You don't have to. You don't have to, you're a daughter. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus affirms it and publicly. You know That's part of the ways of God. He wants to affirm publicly. He's, he's not ashamed of his people. Do you know that? He's not ashamed, it says in Hebrews chapter 2, he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. I would be. At my worst moments, I often am. It's terrible. I'm arrogant. Oh, I'm, ashamed of, oh, I'm ashamed of that Christian. I'm ashamed of that. Jesus isn't so quick to speak in that way. He doesn't disdain his people. In fact, he's quite keen to honour them. In fact, the Bible says that one day he's going to do it publicly. The sons of God and the daughters, read that in, will be revealed in Romans chapter 8. The children of God will be publicly honoured. That's the way of God. That's what he's like. Remember the story of the boys in Luke 15, the son who ran away and the son who stayed at home. And the son that runs away comes back and the father doesn't just say, "Oh, come in through the back door, don't let your other brother see you. You know, remember that story? Just come in, come in, come in. I forgive you, I forgive you. But for goodness sake, don't show your face. They won't be quick to forgive you. But I do, I do. Mm, not good enough for God. No, kill the fat, make a noise, make a fuss. Let's celebrate, he's come back. He was dead, he's alive again. Jesus is always picking the wrong friends. Jesus is always publicly honoring people. You think, no, you shouldn't really. No, they're not. No, they're wicked people. They've done wrong. Maybe about ourselves. Shouldn't honour me. Not not so. Jesus is keen to honour publicly. Jesus will do it, but he does it for a reason. Look at what he does honour about. And this is our final point. He honours their faith. And this is a similarity because both stories demonstrate faith. So he's explicit about it with the woman. He says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. In in the story of the daughter, uh, the, the, the ruler's daughter, the faith is on display from the start. How? Well, you notice the way he talks to Jesus. He comes to Jesus and says, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. This man has got an extraordinary confidence that Jesus is gonna do something. He's he's overwhelmingly confident in the the Jesus that he's come to observe, the power and the kindness of Jesus. He's seen enough and he says, "I, I see you and I trust you. It demonstrates extraordinary faith. What is faith like in this story? What do we see about faith? There's lots of things we could say from the Bible about faith but there are are a few things specifically as I finish that that stand out in this story about faith first of all it's it's marked by resolve it's characterised by a certain kind of resolve a decision I've made up my mind I've made up my mind The, the believer the person with faith the person that's trusting God doesn't walk around with their, their mind wide open, they, they've decided. James talks about this in his, in his opening chapter of his letter. He says, he talks about the difference between faith and the double-minded man, the person that's ultimately not made up their mind. This woman who reaches out and touches the garment, she's made up her mind that day, earlier that day, she must have gone through a point, do I dare to do this? <laughs> this is really scary for me. Can I do the unthinkable? I'm going to do it. I've made up my mind. I believe that he's good for this. I, I trust that he is good for this. It's not about her so much. Faith mustn't be in faith. Don't ever get into that mess. Some of you, you, hear things like, your faith is great. When Jesus says that, he's not saying to people, you score you know, seven out of ten on the faith scale, so-and-so didn't, didn't invest early enough and they've only got three or four. Faith isn't a commodity. Faith is, is recognising something. It's seeing and having confidence in the Jesus you trust. Seeing him. Not really. In your, people get really messed up. I wish my faith, I've got to get my faith higher. You could talk. They talk so much about faith. They they don't realise they haven't got faith in anybody. Faith in itself isn't anything. Faith in Christ is everything. So see Him. Put your faith in Him, and you'll find that even a tiniest bit of faith is enough to move a mountain. It's Him that you, your attention should be on. And faith in Him will be resolute. I've made it. I've, I've, I've done it. I trust Him. I believe Him. Some of you, that's exactly where you're at. You're still double-minded. You have not made up your mind. And I'm not just talking to people who haven't become Christians yet, although that's true for some of you here today. You haven't yet become a Christian because you haven't made up your mind whether you can trust Jesus. But you know what? That, that battle still carries on for many who are Christians at different points of life. You've got to make up your mind that he's good for the things that you're going to do. Can I give this money away? and the battle is ultimately, is he trustworthy? Can I love my wife or husband through this painful season when they're not showing a lot of love to me? I don't feel very loved or respected or honoured. The battle is over faith. Do do I believe him? Do I trust this Jesus and what he says? can Can I tell my friends at school that I'm a Christian when I go back to school in September? Can I do it? Can I tell them? Can I tell my friends at college or when I go back to uni, can I say, I'm, I love Jesus, I trust him, I'm following him? Can I do that? And the battle is faith. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Over so many battles we go over. We go over them for ages. We wrestle with it. Can I, can I, oh, I can't. And you, you're trying to work it out, pros and cons. You might draw diagrams. I don't know. You might get into all kinds of messes intellectually and mentally. You don't need to. For so many things. The battle is very simple. Is he trustworthy? Is he? If he is, well, that's end of conversation with myself. (laughs) I just, I just, I can step out. I can do this because I know him. I know him. I know enough about him. I know enough to trust him. That's what these people did in this story. They made up their mind. And in the case of the man, that was a costly one. Faith will put other things aside. Faith will jettison things, even public dignity. For a ruler of the synagogue to run to the feet of Jesus in a crisis, wow, that was risky. Remember, at this point, Jesus is not exactly uniting the country. (laughs) Slightly divisive character. Have you heard about Jesus? Some of the things he says, some of the things Jesus does. Have you heard who Jesus hangs out with? Have you seen the houses he goes to, the parties he attends? You're a ruler of the synagogue. Who do you think? What do you think you're doing? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I trust him. I trust him. I go to him. Maybe a crisis will bring us to that point. Maybe that's what God's doing in some of your lives. Maybe he's bringing about a crisis in your life. It's forcing you to decide, do I trust Jesus or not? Do I trust him? It's pretty painful, but it's very much intended. Can I trust him? Sometimes it does mean forsaking the respect of your peers. This man had to accept that he could well be frowned on by everybody in the community from this point on. That is no small thing. For some of you, that's the reason you've never become a Christian. You actually know that Jesus is true. You, you basically believe this book, but you've never been able to fully put your life in his hands because you know that it will cost you friends, cost you respect, might even cost you members of your family. I don't know. I know that's huge. It's huge. I don't mean to belittle it. It's huge for you. It's a painful thing. Can I really trust Jesus? I will lose so much. You have to decide in your heart, is he trustworthy? Make up your mind. Make up your mind. He, faith is characterized by seeking. Notice the ruler? He goes and finds him. He seeks Jesus out do you do that he goes and he doesn't sit back at home and pontificate he doesn't think well i, I obviously I, I think religion is important and spirituality is a, is, a, is a deep issue and and we need to think these things through so i'm going to sit behind my laptop and do a blog about this or i'm going to engage with other people and discuss it and we'll sip coffee and we'll we'll think through these issues no life's too short problems are too big i've got to find him i'm going to go find him I'm not going to think about him. I'm going to find him. There's a difference. Find him. Seek him. Seek him out. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For If you would come to God, you must believe that he is there and that he, diligent, and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. It, there's a reward. There's a promise. <laughs> Hebrews 11 verse 6. There's a promise for you. You're thinking, is it worth praying about this situation? There's a promise right there in the Bible. He does reward those who diligently seek him. Faith is characterised by prayer. If you don't seek God in prayer, I don't know if you believe God. It's, it's the, the, Faith visible is shown by someone in a kneeling posture. That's what it looks like, literally in this case comes kneeling so I've got to get to you I've got to seek you have you been getting to God with your problems have you brought them to him are you doing it often are you waking him up in the morning saying it's me again God come on I'm back I'm not letting go I'm gonna fight you I will get this I will pray I will pray I will pray faith looks like that characterized by seeking just like this woman i'll reach out i'll touch his garment i'll do i'll think about i'll find him i'll hunt him down i will ask i will seek i will knock jesus loves it he honors it and then finally i love this faith is characterized by openness such such openness about even those shameful things yes this woman's embarrassed yes she's hiding away for 12 years but the history of her life turns on the moment where she brings to Jesus her shame. She brings to Jesus her weakness. She's honest with Jesus. She's honest. She's open. She says, here's the problem. Effectively, she's, she's, she's prepared to, to let, let that part of her life be touched and, let, and, and touch him. She brings, in, she brings her flaw into contact with Jesus. Do you, do you know what I mean? Do you understand this? This is massive. This is massive. Because actually without this, so much of our praying can actually not be praying. Because a praying person brings the whole of themself. They show their face to God. Their whole face. They don't hide. They don't, they don't go religious. They bring their whole problem. My daughter has died. They bring it to him. You bring your weaknesses, you bring your problems, you bring the things you're frightened to bring to him, things that you feel guilty and ashamed about, bring them to him. I'm not good enough. I'm, I've failed. I've always failed. I always blow it. I'm so bad at this, this problem in my life, this recurring sin, this habit, this struggle, this, this flaw, this hang up, this thing that happened to me. I've never been able to get out from under it. This is, I can't, I can't this is never going to, I can't bring it to him. This is a joke. It, he does, it won't work. Bring it to him. Bring it to him. And so often in my life, there are times when I'm I'm sure that my weakness, failure, flaw, sin is a reason that God would back off. We we assume we know that he will back off because we would, wouldn't we? That's what we're like. We are deeply, deeply put off by things that are unattractive. And we say, you become more attractive and I'll love you. You become more appealing. You become a better person and I will love you. Have you noticed the ways of God? He does it the other way around. You will become more attractive because I love you. You'll become more beautiful because I love you. In your ugliness, at your worst, I will love you. In my son Jesus, I will love you. In all the horror, I love you. And that totally, utterly counterintuitive, surprising, doesn't make sense, blows my mind, love, starts to heal me, <laughs> starts to change me. That's what we need desperately. That's what we're going to celebrate as we come to the table. So let's, let's just stand right now. Father, we thank you for the bread and the wine Thank you for this gift of Jesus for us, his body and his blood. Thank you for what it means. So much more than tokenism. A great cost. You couldn't just say, let's pretend it never happened and brush our sin under the carpet. You couldn't just say, well, I know you're unclean, but I'll just have an unclean heaven come in. No, something had to be done. Someone had to die. Some blood had to be shed. We thank you. You gave yourself. So we celebrate it and we just, we just rejoice in it today. In Jesus' name. We thank you for everything it means to us. This is the bedrock of our lives. What we do in these next moments is what our lives are based on. This gift of Jesus. Help us never move away from it. But stay dependent on it. Stay trusting you, seeking you. And if you're not yet a Christian, let me just say, if you're thinking, am I, am I supposed to come and take bread and wine? Well, not yet. Don't, don't come and take it as, as someone who's not yet sure of your faith. Come, come to Jesus first in your heart. Put your trust in him. And then you can come to the table. But we'd love to help you do that. If you're thinking, I'd love to, come to, Christ, I'd love to become a Christian today, we would love to help you do that. Come and talk to us. Talk to some of the people at the tables if you prefer. there would be people with lanyards on. Talk with them. Pray with them. They'll help you. Let's, let's respond to God in worship. Come to the table. Take bread and wine whenever you're ready.